In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment and groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, on your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash big climb. All right, welcome to the latest edition to Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Andrew Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here. What's going on, Jay? Oh, not much. Healthy, staying home, just a, another week in quarantine, even though things are open, uh, trying to trying to keep a low profile. I went golfing for the first time, and uh, it, was, it was nice. It was nice to just kind of get out. It was like, you know, one of these, the weather at least was nice. So I was like, oh, you know what? Okay, I'm outside. I can do it. I can I can be outside and do these. I, I got to give a lot of credit to a lot of the local businesses have done a really good job of creating very safe dining, outdoor dining experiences. Like they, they've taken it very seriously and gone to a lot of lengths, whether it be to specify areas that are aisleways that people can be walking through, making sure that the, there's nobody violate. It's, it's been, it's been cool to watch everybody try to find ways, uh, to make this work, which, you know, with, you know, the, the reopening of everything. We had an interesting scene on Saturday night. We, some friends of ours in Columbus, you know, we haven't seen them in a long time and we're like, Hey, let's, let's meet halfway. Uh, my wife and I got lawn chairs. They grabbed their lawn chairs. We met at Caesars Creek. And we're like, we'll just sit on the beach up there and talk for a little bit. It was crazy how dead the place was, but we're sitting in the parking lot waiting for the other couple to show up. And here comes a Jeep and another car screaming into the parking lot, music blaring. These teenagers get out and we're like, what in the world is this? One of the teenagers is blindfolded and they give him a bucket and he's got like a volleyball and a bunch of other stuff. And then before you know it, car after car starts showing up and i guess it was this kid's birthday and his friends had they look like they're all about seniors in high school and the these guys had all planned a surprise birthday party and they just hung out on the beach you know they weren't socially distancing but they weren't they weren't causing problems they weren't drinking or smoking or doing anything they shouldn't have been doing they were just having fun playing games cornhole frisbee volleyball and it was kind of interesting just to sit there and sit on a beach and talk and it, it felt good to be like you said just be out and doing something Sounds like the kind of birthday party you would have had, Jay, when you were that age. Oh no, there there would have been smoking and drinking. <laughs> uh, we we have a, we have some stuff we want to get to today. Uh, um, you know, obviously we're still kind of in in the dead period. Not a lot going on as far as the Bengals go. Um, still have the virtual workouts going on. There's some you know the coaches are now being allowed back 
into the building. So there, there's still potential to ramp up to an actual mini camp maybe, uh, but they've got until the end of this month to figure that out. If they can pull that off or not, whether we see that happen and is still up in the air, but coaches kind of bet, you know, back in the building at this point is the big point of where they're at, but otherwise everything else still virtual as far as all the players and everything. Um, we have, um, we want to talk about a little bit the Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow tweeting, uh, this weekend. You know, there's, there's a lot going on and, and on the site, there's a, there's a lot to, to talk about. Uh, we're, we're not going to dive into all of that here. Um, I'll, I'll point you to a lot of great stories that, that we have up on the site right now. Marcus Thompson has an incredible piece, um, about, you know, to be in a rage almost all the time. His, his, uh, look, um, at really what it's like to be a black man in America right now. And it's, uh, it is, uh, an incredible piece. I can't recommend it enough. There's another great piece up about, uh, experiences from athletic staffers discussing, you know, racism and, and knowing what that's like and, and sharing some of those and, uh, a lot of great opportunities to read to listen stuff that's so important for everybody right now. But from a, we want to keep this to a Bengals perspective and um, from a Bengals perspective, we had Joe Burrow uh, tweeted out three days ago now uh, over the weekend. Uh, the black community needs our help. They have been unheard for f- been unheard for far too long. Open your ears, listen and speak. This isn't politics. This is human rights. Now, we, we've seen a lot of, uh, players, quarterbacks, coaches, I mean, a lot of people have, have posted different things. This, this was a little earlier on before, I mean, he was one of the earlier ones, um, to, yeah. to do this. And I find it interesting to see that from a rookie, a young rookie quarterback coming into kind of an unknown, I, He's the one thing about Joe Burrow that that this has kind of been the latest example of, and one of the first ones on the pro scene has been a real confidence in his voice, in the impact of his voice, in himself, and the difference it can make. Now he he experienced that with what happened back in Southeast Ohio from his Heisman speech, and and so much of what how his voice can be great, and man. I, I think this, if there's something, a, a takeaway Bengals specific about this, it's that, you know, this is a really clear example of how confident this guy is in, in what he can say and how it can affect everything. Yeah. I mean, what, what do people say about him? He is a born leader and, and some leadership is overt, but some stuff is just that leading by example. And what better way than to get all of your teammates behind you? than to to tweet something like that. And I don't think I don't think that was his intention. I think he was speaking from the heart, but you're right, he was he was one of the first. And then there was two other things about that tweet that really stood out to me. Um Joe's not he he's not like a really active guy on Twitter. He retweets some stuff, but I went back and looked. Last time he tweeted anything was April twenty fourth, thanking Jimmy Kimmel for having him on the show. And so we're talking more than a month later that he, and then he comes out with that. So if he's going to say it, he means it. It means something. 
And the other thing, you know, you touched on it, what, what he did for that, for the, that community of Athens and Athens County with his Heisman speech. Um, I went and looked at the demographics of Athens County. Yes, it's, it's very poor and impoverished, but it's not diverse. The, the population, the, the African American population in Athens County is 2.4%. Mm-hmm. So Joe does not have a long history, um, you know, of living in a diverse community. Now, obviously that changes when he gets to Ohio state and LSU, but I, I think that is something that, that carries weight as well, that, that he, he realizes this despite not coming from a background where he experienced, you know, a lot of diversity, a lot of people different from him. Yeah. And I think you said it's sort of an, an, when you talk about natural born leader, that that's how this came up. You see a lot of this, a lot of things. And there's a sometimes it feels and looks forced, and 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 that can be clear. It's sort of like you know it when you see it. Sometimes it feels like somebody's trying to force something. It, there was nothing. This didn't really feel that way. And I think there's there, there is a naturalness to him in that respect. And we've talked about that in every path, and whether it's very serious issues like this, um, or less serious issues or like, you know, how he handled the combine, um, or, you know, people being amazed at how he handled giving a Heisman speech. There's just a naturalness in knowing what to say, knowing how to say it and, and, and bringing a, a sort of thoughtful perspective to it. And I, I think that will resonate with his teammates and, you know, I just can't imagine you're you're scared. You know, most rookie quarterbacks, you would assume, would come to a situation scared to death about how to how to win over their teammates. How are you going to do this? How are you going to be a leader for a bunch of guys that are ten years older than you, five years older than you, skins on the wall in the league, and you're just you're just a rookie, and you're trying to play figure out how to play quarterback, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's no. I mean, there, that should be a very scary situation um in trying to figure that out and they're just there's just none of that here and this is kind of what we talk about there's a, that that naturalness to it there's there's none of that here and what they talk about too is how those guys how rookies win over their teammates is by outworking them and and you know going full speed in practice and that type of thing and, and that's not going on he, he can't get around these guys to show them that that he can be that kind of worker and, and, and all out effort guy like he did at LSU. So that, that that's just one more thing that's kind of hampering his, his rookie season. And, and this, this tweet, I, I think it, it holds more weight because of that too, with his teammates that na- they, they can see now uh, what they're getting and, and soon they'll see, hopefully soon they will see in person. But uh, th- that's just another hurdle that the fact that, not just Joe, but none of these rookies can get in and kind of prove themselves to their teammates. They're just sitting in a Zoom meeting and nobody's doing work there. It's, it, I mean, I guess you can kind of tell how much work the guys are putting in by how prepared they are, but still it's, it's a totally different thing when they're out on the field yeah. physically going through it. Yeah. I mean, I think all you can prove right now is your personality and who you are. And I think that Bengals teammates that sees, see that can know immediately like, man, this dude is not afraid and he is confident in himself and he stands up for what he believes in and if he believes in you know this team if us if you're a a player uh that's 
that I think I do think that goes a long way in in giving an understanding of his personality. Um, I you know that, I don't think I don't think that was his in, his intention necessarily, like you said. I mean, I don't know. I don't know Joe. Mm-hmm. I I've never had a one on one conversation with Joe Burrow. We've done interviews or whatever, but I mean, we've we've not get to know Joe, so I don't I don't know that, but it certainly comes across that way. Uh, Jay, you have some stats because while we're talking rookie quarterbacks, you yeah I do I, I wrote about it last week the the road home splits of of rookie quarterbacks just to see what what it might mean for for Joe Burrow and other rookie quarterbacks to go on the road this year with no fans if if it's that it's tough enough to learn and get your feet wet in the NFL um at home and then you do it on the road where people are screaming and yelling and um there were 30 30 rookie quarterbacks that started at least 10 games as rookies and uh I I looked at their first four and first first four home starts first four road starts compared the stats that's up on the site if you want to go into that but but then I went beyond that this week and I looked at where those teams that that started a rookie quarterback for at least 10 games where they finished in total points and total yards and this might throw a little cold water on all this optimism that Bengal fans are having because it's I mean you would expect that yeah it's not going to be great when you're starting a rookie quarterback but the that there were 6 of the 30 uh led the team to a the top half of the league. So top 16 in points and six of the 30 led the team to the top half in yards. Um, the average finishing position in points scored was 22.1 in the, the average finishing position or finishing ranking uh, in total yards was 22.3. Now the other thing that goes into it, I, I went beyond that because you kind of have to look at where the team ranked the the year before they turned to the rookie quarterback and and did they improve drastically because even if if you're finishing 17th yeah you're not in the top half of the league but if you were 32nd the year before that's a hell of a jump uh but but really there weren't a lot of big jumps the the average leap in points was 3.3 spots in the rankings and the average leap in yards was 1.4 spot in the rankings. So yes, Joe Burrow brings a lot of hope, but uh, for, for fans that are expecting to see an immediate turnaround, uh, I wouldn't expect this offense to necessarily climb into the, the top half of the league this year based on history. Now it can happen. You look Cam Newton, his rookie year, they finished fifth in points and seventh in yards. RG three fourth in points, fifth in yards. So there, there's there's outliers out there where, where rookie quarterbacks came in and, and really made a big difference, but it is an anomaly. But it has happened, and I think that's you know if you are betting on Joe Burrow and you're betting on the fact that he is, I mean he's in the conversation with the Cam Newtons, the Andrew Lux of this grouping that we're talking about the slam dunk number one picks types and you know and a lot of those rookie quarterbacks are being thrown into situations where they don't have a lot of weapons um and there's you know and you you wonder about that well you're you're getting weapons back you're getting i mean there's so i think there's reason to believe they could be one of those six you know in that in that grouping and certainly when you look at somebody like what cam newton means so 
there's history, but a lot of those rookies are guys that didn't have the pedigree or the expectations of Joe Burris. The fact that it, it'd be different if they did if it hadn't happened for me. If it hadn't happened at all, if I go one or one in thirty or two in thirty or something like that, I mean, one in every five. I would like to think that you, your, your hope as if you're the Bengals is that Joe Burrow is in the top twenty percent of of quarterbacks. Now, does that mean he's going to have a rookie year like Cam Newton? I I can't say that, but um, I think that the hope is that he would be in 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 an upper echelon of those types of stats, but. We don't know. There are a lot of odds against it. There is, there is no doubt. But we shall see. Let's hope. Let's hope we get to talk about that in September. <laughs> yeah, the thing about Cam <laughs> was in 2010, the Panthers were they ranked 32nd, dead last in points and yards, and he took them all the way to fifth and seventh. I mean, that is a huge leap. And if people are curious, uh, Andy Dalton. In, in 2010, the Bengals ranked 22nd in points and 20th in yards. And Andy comes in, leads them to the playoffs. So just a totally surprising season. And yet all that he did was lead them to 18th in points, a jump of four spots and 20th in yards, which was exactly where they were the year before. With less, uh, interceptions. I do know that much. Because yeah, that, that two thousand, <laughs> there was a lot of things different between two thousand ten and two thousand eleven. But uh, Carson Palmer throwing a lot of picks and Andy not throwing as many was a big part of uh, why that team snuck in. That and uh, Mike Zimmer's defense. But neither here nor there. Uh, so let, we've kind of touched a little bit on that. Let's you, you got a, a mail two parter two part mailbag. Shout out to uh, all this all the subscribers and followers and everybody that's sending questions for you. Um, one was not enough. You had to go in for no. You gotta, there was, <laughs> which that's good. I mean, there's probably a lot that you weren't even able to get to that are uh, still going to be hanging out there. So we're, we're, we we looked. I, I have an opinion on a couple uh, on the one that you you already have up, and we can talk. We can kind of flush those out a little bit more, and we can kind of give a little bit of a tease to some of the questions we're going to dive into in the second mailbag and just just you know there's there's not a lot to specifically go into so we just want to kind of talk about what you want to know about so this all these mailbag questions you guys sent in uh great to hear from if you have more uh you can send them uh either tweet them to jay or to me uh or send emails to us uh p daner at the com. and jay what are, are you jay Moore? is it just jay the letter J? J-A-Y. J-A-Y. J-A-Y Morrison at theathletic.com if you want to send questions and, and we'll try, we're going to try to get to these as much as we can, uh, during, especially during this time of year. Um, I do also next week though is our big look back at the last time the Bengals won a playoff game in that season. So the 1990, we're looking back at the 1990 slash 1990 season slash 1991 playoffs. Okay, January 6th, 1991, the famous date, the last time the Bengals won a playoff game. Um, part of our Game Changers series, which the first one was done on the Reds 1995 season, which is the last time they advanced in the postseason. Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna go back and rewatch those games and, and break down a lot of what, uh, happened there with Mo Egger. And so myself, Jay, and Mo and uh, some other special guests that you might be interested in. But that is coming up on next week's Hear That Podcast Ground. Really excited to do that. I think you're really going to like it. I, I love the way uh, the Reds 
uh, debut of this series came out, and I think this one's going to be even better. So check that out next week. But for now, let's dive into some Q&As. Um, this one I like, and I hear a lot. And I'll let you jump, open it up, Jay. But um, it was essentially a question about a reader asking, why should I invest emotionally in this team? And we, this is from James A, a, a subscriber. So shout out James A. You know, a guy who's been a, a fan going back to the 80s, but, you know, they, they've been heartbroken over and over again. This guy says he checked out after the 15th season in playoffs. Why should he check back in? Um, <laughs> my relationship with the Bengals has been the least rewarding relationship I've had in my entire life. And not coincidentally <laughs> the relationship in which I have been the most abused. Hey, I'm, you know what? I'm shout out to him for having some, must have some good relationships going on in his personal life if this is the worst that it's been. So he's never, never been yeah, I, totally I hope, heartbroken. Good for him. Uh, yeah. Hopefully that's the only relationship he feels abused in that I wouldn't want that to, to happen to anybody to, to feel abused in, in a relationship. No. But I get that, that, that you, you feel that way from a team. I, I told him that, you know, the, the part two of the mailback comes out Wednesday and I told him that that's a hard one for me to answer because it's, it's hard to tell someone how much of your heart to pour into a team and kind of rely on that. The old saying, you know, it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. But it's, the thing is you can say I'm giving up on the team and I'm, I, they burned me too many times. But everybody knows when they get good again, you're, you're coming back. And it, it would seem to me, I've never been like a, you know, a, a diehard fan. Maybe when I was a kid, I, I kind of lived and died with teams, but you get into this business and you, you kind of look at it from the 10,000 feet perspective and you're just dis distanced from the results. And I don't know. I just, I just think it would be more rewarding to, to follow the team and stick with the team in the lean times so that when the good does come back around and you know, it always does. I mean, the Bengals haven't won a Super Bowl, but they, they've had, They've had seasons that have been fun for fans. Um, it just would seem it would be way more rewarding to, to ride it out and, and wait for the good times to come back. Look, it, it, like any relationship where you feel – essentially you feel that you've been cheated on or abused or whatever, you know, figuratively here, that – it is on the other person to earn that investment back, okay? This is not on James A., all right, to come out and be like, you know what, I'm back. No, it is on the team to go out and win games and prove they're different. To prove that that Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow is going to be different than every other coach quarterback combination that has come through here the last 30 years. It it is it is on them. They have to be the one to do that. And right now. Their opportunity is to go and play games. So don't, don't invest anything right now. You want to pay, pay attention. Read us. Thank you for subscribing. Keep tabs. But you can, you will judge them on the field. That's what, that's when the emotional investment comes back. They will invest and it, it, you can invest in them if they earn that back. And they earn that back by showing and looking different on the field, sounding and acting different as a franchise. 
That's it. That's it. To me, you don't, you don't, you, you shouldn't invest at all. I'm telling you, don't invest except as a subscriber and read our stuff. Uh, but don't, don't invest yourself emotionally in the team until you feel they prove that they're worthy of it. That's to me, that's what it's about. If you have checked out and you think about checking back in, let them go earn it and they have to earn it when they play. I think they've set themselves up to potentially be different and look different and be better. And one quarterback can change all of that. It only takes one one good quarterback to change all of that. But they have to prove that, and they haven't right now. Yeah, the, the question with that is, is when do you come back? When do you trust that you've seen enough? I mean, really, is it – They yeah, they won two games last year, but it, it's not pie in the sky that they could start 2-0 and oh this year. I mean, I, I could see them beating the Chargers at home and then going to Cleveland and winning on that Thursday night. And then all of a sudden, if they start 2-0, and I think the bandwagon starts getting full again. And then people like James A. that have felt burned in the past could could feel that all over again if if that 2-0 and start devolves into what we all expect the season to be, a six or seven win season. Yeah, I mean you – know- you're always going to have that feeling with this franchise until they prove otherwise that uh that the the other shoe is going to drop you know and in that and, and until they win a playoff game you'll always feel that way it's impossible not to 30 years of that will not change that um so that that's part of <laughs> it's like uh it is it's it's like a relationship where you were cheated on like that's not going away like, you're no. you're always that's gonna be a part of a relationship with the Bengals for the rest of your life is to remember this 30 year period where they didn't win the playoff game and, and what that meant to you and or whatever whatever it is that checked you out whatever incident hurt you most whether it was the 90s or whatever that's always gonna be a part of being a Bengals fan and that's always gonna be in the back of your head but it's up to them to prove that they're really different and and they are different they are constituted significantly differently than they have been this century they have the quarter the young quarterback the young coach different players different strategy and free agency that they utilize this year you know there's a lot different ownership the same front office the same but they have made a significant effort to change the way they're constituted everywhere else. So they're gonna they're trying a different angle. And if you feel like that is working for you, come back whenever you want to. But I mean really, it's it's a it's it's on them and it probably is on them to win a playoff game until they re, you really can can invest and believe that their strategy is paying off correctly. Probably. If I was if I that if I was one. forced to put a specific event on when you really should, that probably would be the one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Getting to the playoffs would be a heck of a heck of a turnaround from where they are. But it's it it's right back to that old Bengal fan mantra of same old Bengals. If if they do finally put it together and make it, and they lose in the first round again. Yeah. Um, Jake Dolagala question. Excited about this. <laughs> everybody loves Jake. Everybody loves Jake. You think you think that backup quarterback is the most popular man in every town? No, third string quarterback, way more popular. I'll never forget. And this was back in like I don't remember what air, part of the air the Andy Dalton era we were in. One where he was highly criticized. I think I'd driven back from a it was just a practice or a training camp. I don't know what was going on, but I'm I'm driving home. And our guy, our guy, we love Chick. 
I love Chick, but Chick, he, 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 he has, he has things he wants to say on the radio. And we were, I was driving back and it was whoever was the backup, probably McCarran. I don't know who it was. It doesn't matter because the third string was Dan LaFever. And Chick just kept saying, we need to see LaFever. We need to see LaFever. And I just remember thinking, hey, we're, I almost drove off the road. We're down to like the first one and the second one are no good. I need a third guy. I, Jake Dolagala is not that, I, I mean, I think he will, he very m- real thought that he could be the backup quarterback when they open the season, whenever that is. I mean, I think that's very real. If he plays well, if they're going to give him opportunity, if he plays well and Ryan Finley is shaken by what he did last year, which is also a very real possibility, I could see him beating him out and they're going to give him the chance to be the backup quarterback. If he if he's worthy of it, yeah. I mean, I, I put that in my answer in the Q and A that that I think that will be one of the most interesting position battles in camp this year. You know, maybe right there behind Bobby Hart and Fred Johnson. Uh, I I think it, it's not to use an old Joe Reedy phrase. It's not Thunderdome. It's it's not yeah. only one of these guys is coming out alive. I I, I think that with them boosting the roster size, I, I think they keep three again. I don't think the Bengals are going to be interested in exposing either one of those guys. As, as bad as Finley played last year and as bad as it would look for him to get beat out by an undrafted guy, I still don't think that they would they would expose him to waivers and try to no. sneak him through uh, to the practice squad. So they're they're, they're going to ride with all three of those guys on the roster this year. But, yes, you're right. that. Very real possibility that, that Jake Dolagala, because he showed it was, it was more about picking things up and processing. He showed physical tools last year in that, in that final practice of, of, um, mini camp in the preseason. He played real, really well when he got a chance. He's got the tools and he's got another year to kind of get everything under his belt and learn the system. And th- that will be a, a really interesting battle to watch. And you've, Talk about driving off the road with third quarterback, third string quarterback talk. I still remember, can't remember what year it was, but remember, uh, the Keith winning era, winning time. Winning time. Um, he, he was the third string quarterback and we were driving to, uh, Cleveland Browns stadium for the, the morning of the game. Um, and we saw a guy in a Bengals winning jersey. It's like, <laughs> you, you know, you've arrived as the third string quarterback. If someone's wearing your jersey, to a road game. Now, Keith winning was from Coldwater, Ohio, near Dayton, and it, it very well could have been a, a relative that was was going, but it was still – I can't ever remember seeing someone wearing the jersey of a third-string quarterback. There's no chance that that wasn't that dude's dad. That had to have been Mr. Brother. Winning. <laughs> had to be. Might have even been his own personalized winning jersey from like 10 years ago that he had had. Like that's, that's how it was. him. I gotta, they just made I, him walk. One of these days, I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to pull. If we ever, if we, if we ever get like a Bengals Packers game or some connection between the two, I, and we have uh, my uh, my guy Jim Ozarski on. Jim wrote a song called "Wedding Time" during a long training camp <laughs> practice one day that goes down. I can't think of wedding without thinking of the song that about about winning time and. It's it's so fantastic. I, if I could ever get him uh, a reason to have him on, we may have to have him on just to sing "Winning Time." I think that may be. It's next year, right? They they play the they have NFC North next year. Oh, twenty twenty one. Packers will be coming. Yeah, they'll be coming to Cincinnati. Oh man, 
20, it's 2021 will be waiting time then. There's no doubt about it. Uh, that's coming. Uh, let's, uh, I, this was a question about how this feels like a prove it year for Zach Taylor. Uh, obviously, obviously doesn't have to win it all, but he has to show improvement besides the win loss record. What are you looking to see in year two to see if Taylor is the coach of the future? I, you know, we've, I wrote, uh, my immediate takeaway on night one of the draft was all pressure shifts to Zach Taylor now. And, you know, if you want to, if you want to know more about my opinion on this, you can just go back and read that column. It is all on him now because he was brought in to be the one to steer the ship and they spent all this money in free agency. They got the number one pick. This one of the, one of the top quarterback selections this decade. If, no, everybody saw what Joe Burrow did at LSU. If Joe Burrow struggles here, they're going to blame the coach. Okay, he went two and fourteen in his first season. They lost a lot of games that were close. It all put is on him at this point. So you're exactly right in calling it a prove it year. They have to show significant improvement, or else you know you start to wonder about the clock ticking. Um, it's. The, you know, the team needs to win close games. They need to show, you need to start, I think you need to start to see the character chemistry stuff that we've heard talked about ad nauseum show up on the field on Sundays and equate to a couple of wins. Um, and you need to see Joe Burrow play well. Let's be honest. <laughs> That's what it is. Like, if, if Zach Taylor can get Joe Burrow playing good, Zach Taylor's not going anywhere. And he will prove that he is the coach of the future here because their relationship and the way Joe Burrow plays under Zach Taylor is one A and there's not a two C on, on the most important things that matter about his job right now. The development of Joe Burrow is Zach Taylor's job. It is the number one thing that he has to do to prove that he is the coach of the future and that the Bengals can be anything other than what they have been the last four years. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that I, I kind of touched on too in the answer that want to see. You know, I thought the one thing Zach did really good last year the the the, the whole culture thing played out when when you saw how bad the season was going, and he kept he kept that team together. And people rail about you know fighting hard to the finish doesn't mean anything if you don't win, but but there is something to that if you're a young head coach and things go that far south, and he kept those guys together. There. Even if they show improvement this year, there's going to be a stretch where things start going bad. And if it happens early, even though they they kind of – well, they did. They gutted this roster. They got rid of the, the, the players they didn't want. They, they kept the ones that they feel are, are buying into what they're selling, what they're coaching. But you have to wonder if, if, do, if things get off to a really rough start again this year – do the players start maybe having some second guessing and, and start looking at Zach a little different? So that that's one of the things beyond the the win loss record that I'll be watching for, just to see how how he maintains control and confidence of the team when they hit a rough rough spot. And then the other thing's play calling. I, I think Zach yeah. would be the first one to tell you that 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 was he wasn't good enough last year, especially in the red zone. Um, so that that is something I'm I'm really interested to see. Uh, how the play calling and it's and I'm talking about specific plays because so much of 
it, it wasn't so much the game management stuff because he had Dan Pitcher to rely on with that last year. And I love what they did, how aggressive they were. And we saw them doing things that we hadn't seen in years. The Bengals do as far as clock management and that type of thing. I thought all of that was on point, but the, the specific play calling, especially in the red zone, you, you think back to that Cleveland game, um, that that'll be something that, that I'll definitely be kind of keeping an eye on to see where Zach grows beyond wins and losses. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree with all that. Um, let's, uh, the next question, any chance of a William Jackson extension? Um, no. <laughs> I'll start there. I mean, William, William <laughs> is not going to get an extension. He, he's, he's in a prove it year himself. I mean, he's in a contract year. He has not, he, he has not shown enough, um, in the last couple of years to warrant that and and maybe they're using him wrong you know i don't know there's a lot of different stuff there and maybe it took a year of them figuring out what a little bit more of what he does best and doesn't do best you know maybe he's just a man cover guy and that's it but he needs to show better ball skills he needs to have better awareness out there um there's a lot of things he needs that he needs to be better at you know i think they're hoping that steve jackson can come in and as a new position coach and, and help like that fire under him with some lower energy. Um, we'll see. And we'll see if Lou Anaromo can get the most out of him. They need it. And if he does, then he's got a big contract waiting for him somewhere at the end of the road, whether it's here or elsewhere. Um, I certainly think they would love to try to go Trey Hopkins style with William Jackson. If he plays well, you know, the day after the season ended, they basically gave Trey Hopkins a big extension. Yes. Like, I think they'd love to try to do that, um, and, and get him back under under their their wing and, and 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 make good on that first round pick and and the potential they've seen there. But I don't, you know, we don't. He hasn't shown enough of that yet to warrant it now. AJ Green, Joe Mixon are higher on that list, um, and I think that's probably where their focus is with extension stuff right now. Yeah, everything you said pretty much is in my answer. Even if he, even if they really wanted to extend him, he's third in line behind those guys. And it, I'm not ready to throw my hands up and, and, and say cut bait on this guy. Um, I, I do think there's a chance he can, he can rebound and, and live up to that first round potential. But yeah, just sit it out. The, the last, the last sentence of my answer to, to Mark S is let 2020 be a prove it year for William Jackson. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, go earn it. I mean, he's and he's he's making nice bank on his fifth year option. You know, sit back and collect that check, uh, and 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 see what turns out next. You gotta go. You gotta go play well, play for pay, baby. Uh, I'm sorry, I just stole I stole a Marvinism and then then dropped a baby <laughs> on the end of it. I'm embarrassed for myself. <laughs> Uh, I don't remember Marvin ever saying baby. He he never babied. I added baby to try to make no. it unMarvin like, which I would have loved if Marvin babied <laughs> us a couple times at least. Oh, that would have been great. Like <laughs> Tyler Boyd broing us. Bro. <laughs> I could have gone for that. Uh, you had um, a starter. A, a question is about a starter, uh, projected starter that you could see being surprisingly good or bad this year or out underperform expectations. Let's do one on, let's pick one on each side. Um, who's a starter that you think will outperform expectations or be surprisingly good. Yeah. That you, 
this just the way you phrase that brings up a good point because I answered Eli B. I only gave the good. I did not do a bad. Okay. So maybe I, before we publish this, I will add a bad. But for the one that I think will outperform expectations, uh, Jesse Bates. Uh, I think he's been pretty good his first two years. Uh, he had that feel of a leader right when he, he got here and he kind of, he, he didn't overly exert it. He, he knew his place as a rookie, but I, I think that's a guy that you're going to see really grow to be a leader on this defense this year. Um, even with Von Bell back there in the secondary, I, I think we're going to see Bates take a big step forward, um, both in performance and just ownership of this defense and, and being, being one of the leaders back there. Um, for a guy to underperform, um, I, I would, I would, I have to go Carlos Dunlap, uh, just because of his kind of Jekyll and Hyde season last year. Uh, he is getting older, um, as great as he played in the second half of the season. He, he was not good in the first half. Um, if, if he comes out of the gate slow again this year, it, it only gets harder to, to turn those things around as you get older. Um, I, I, I'm not predicting a bad season for him, but, but if I had to pick a guy that was, probably most likely to to underperform i would say it would be 96 yeah i i, I see both of those i when i look for players who are going to outperform i typically just go to contract years like that's just that's where yeah, i that's that where sense. i go like that's that's where you find people that find a level of motivation that they had not shown earlier in their careers and we there's not, you know, one we just talked about was William Jackson III. I, I don't know that, I, I don't, I wonder how much motivation has been a factor with him, I, or it's just been fit or whatever it is. I, William Jackson's in my conversation with, with outperform. I will say that. I, I, I think he could because he does fit that mold. A player who's shown it at times, had flashes, and is, realizes that right now he is up against it. It's time to earn it. I could absolutely see that. Um, a name though that sticks out to me, and this is maybe a little off the radar, and it has just, I've loved this since the day they did the move, and he's also in a prove it year. And I just think he's going to be a great fit, and people are going to be surprised at how well he plays. Mackenzie Alexander. I, I think I, people people expect him to come in and be a good slot corner. I think he's going to come in and be really good in this system. And I think he's going to be extremely motivated. You know, one-year prove-it deal. He's been overshadowed by the Trey Wayne signing. I think he's going to be a really, really good player for this defense. And I think he will be the one to, you know, could, could really be a pillar of it and the importance of the nickel corner position, uh, for them. I, I, I look to him to maybe outperform and underperform. Uh, I'm going to say John Ross. I, you know, and I don't know what his, what the expectations even are. So maybe that's a, it, I, I know the expectations for a lot of people are high. Um, I just, I I don't see I don't see a flourishing happening, particularly when they've brought in more pieces at, at receiver. Um, you have the injury history there, obviously, but I you know it's an opportunity for him to rise up. You know, contract year as well. I don't know if he's going to have the opportunity, and I, I don't know if he's going to be able to make good on it. And so that's uh, 
That's my pick. There was a run passer boot in here. Here's a run passer boot. Uh, this was from the first mailbag. One of the linebackers the Bengals took in the 2020 draft becomes a pro bowler in their career. T. Higgins becomes a top 15 wide receiver in the league in his career. Joe Burrow wins an MVP in his career run passer boot. I love people sending us run passer boots. Always feel free to do that. Tweet at us. Email us. Drop questions in the comments. Love run passer boots that you come up with for us. So I, I will answer it. So I'm going to say I'm running with T. Higgins. Yeah, top 15 wide receiver, I can see that. And top 15 is a big number, too. So I think it's easier for him to, to slip into there. He's got all the skills. Winning an MVP is hard. <laughs> like, yes. Winning an MVP is not something that happens all the time or is easy to do. I don't care who you are or where it is. And then you throw in everything else here. I, I'm going to – I'm going to – but I'm going to pass on it. I don't think they have a pro bowler at linebacker. I don't think they have a pro bowl linebacker from this draft. I mean, that they, I think they have can have good linebackers. I I just – and pro bowl voting is a sham, I'd like to point out. But there's not an all pro or anything like that. Uh, so, I, so I'm going to boot. I'm going to boot the linebacker. Yeah, I, I went the exact same way. I, I kind of combined the run, pass, or boot and some Jays got stats. I, I went back and looked at – what yardage total it takes to be a top 15 receiver the last three years. And it was uh, 1,145 last year, 1,196 in 2018 and 1,001 in 2017. Um, I can very easily see a scenario where AJ Green and John Ross are not on this team next year. And T Higgins develops as the number one receiver. And if they are, if they're good, he's going to get a lot of yards. And if they're bad, he's going to get a lot of yards because they're going to be throwing even more, so I, I could easily see him getting in that range and finishing top 15 in yardage. And then same thing, as hard as it is to win an MVP, uh, I, I ran with that and, and booted the linebackers. The Bengals have had one Pro Bowl linebacker since 1976, and that was uh, Vontez Perfect in 2013. It's just, uh, it, 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 even though it's, it's not a, a valid, I, I should say valid, it's not a great measuring stick, that accolade of making the Pro Bowl, that, the, the Bengals don't have a history of, of producing great linebackers and none of the ones that they drafted this year, um, feel like surefire can't miss guys to, to rise to that level. I agree. Check out Jay's mailbag, uh, part two, which is up mailbag part one also up. So check that out all up on the athletic and a reminder next week. We'll remember better times in so many ways. Uh, but from a Bengals perspective, better times. And that was when they actually won a playoff game. January 6, 1991, when the Bengals beat the Oilers 41-14. And then the Bo Jackson game. The curse began on this day. The Bengals lost the next in the divisional round of the playoffs 20-10 to to the Raiders. We'll look back at that season, that team, and what turned out to be the beginning of of a new era that nobody wanted to remember uh, in the end of another one. Sort of a passing of the torch season really there. So it'll be myself, Jay Morrison, and Mo Egger, the three of us back together, 
uh, and talking uh, of a full game changer rewatch of those two playoff games and talking about that season. Uh, I really look forward to. I really again, I really enjoyed the Reds one, and uh, I think they're interesting for anybody that's been a fan for a while. You'll it'll be some nostalgia for you. For anyone that didn't know this stuff, there's a lot of history there into looking into what this franchise was. Uh, so anyway, looking forward to that. That'll be coming to you next week on Hear That Podcast Ground. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next time.